So this is the beginning of the first episode of In The Shift. My name's Michael Frost, by the way, and I think this is where the Squarespace ad is supposed to go, right? But I don't seem to have one of those, so... Instead, let me tell you about uh, my tour. No, I don't have one of those. Uh, I really need something good to make you feel at home here, don't I, to draw you in? Something clever or witty or wise or profound or ridiculous or attention-grabbing or curiosity-stimulating... To be honest, I've been thinking about the start of this first episode for a long time, and I've had so many different versions of how I could begin. And I know you're not really supposed to acknowledge that, because I'm supposed to be super confident and professional, and that's what will make you feel like, yes, I'm comfortable with you, I can listen, and this is not going to be awkward. But I feel like this is kind of appropriate. I am kind of awkward in my own way. And I'm not always super confident, so maybe honesty is a better place to start. Doing this podcast kind of terrifies me. Which seems strange. I'm a grown man with a PhD in theology and a reasonable self-esteem and I should really feel okay about this. And On one level, I do feel okay about this. I'm excited about it. But on another level, well, I just hate upsetting people, you know. And I know I'm probably going to upset people because anytime you say anything worth saying, you end up upsetting someone somewhere. And I've spent most of my life trying not to upset people. I love keeping people happy. And it's understandable, I have a lot of compassion for this way of being. But I also don't want my whole life just to be playing out my role in the script that other people have written. I mean, I've been in the Christian church my whole life, and I continue to be, but I also know that religious communities can be really guilty of dictating to us what will happen if we follow the way of God and what will happen if we don't. And social and economic and political systems do the same thing. They tell us what to care about, what to strive for, what success looks like, how to be in the world. But the truth is that for many of us, life doesn't follow any of these scripts very well. There are all sorts of ways in which our life doesn't seem to measure up or to match. And realising this can be difficult and a bit painful because many of the communities we participate in and belong to actually rely on the stability of the system. And so our sense of belonging, which is attached to our sense of safety and identity, often depend on our lives playing out the roles that we've been given. Uh, And what often ends up happening is we just end up trying to look like we're following the script and that our lives are doing what they're supposed to do, even if they're not. And that can kind of be exhausting, trying to keep up the gap between those two realities. And to be honest about our real experience can be interpreted as losing our way or maybe even some kind of betrayal. And we can get pretty anxious about all of that. I mean, understandably so, right? What is my life supposed to look like? Whose story am I supposed to be living out? Where do I fit? And is it okay to ask hard questions? And what do we hold on to if we've lost our sense of certainty? So welcome to the In The Shift podcast, a podcast for when life and faith go off script. And before we get into our first episode properly, I want to tell you just a little bit more about the project and what it's about and about me, I guess. So as I said, my name is Michael Frost. It gets a bit confusing sometimes because it's an Australian one and he writes about theology too. So I'm not that guy. I'm a different guy with the same name. Uh, I am an academic, I suppose you could say that. I studied theology and ended up completing a PhD a couple of years ago and really interested in the intersection between theology and spirituality and social change. And rather than seeing theology, which is just a flash word really for saying, thinking about God, um, rather than seeing theology as this abstract, formal, academic exercise, which it very much can be, and I've done my fair share of that, Writing a PhD itself is a pretty abstract, formal academic exercise. 
My hope is that theology actually should emerge in conversation with our real lived experiences. It's a, it's a conversation that was never really supposed to, to be limited to academics or spiritual gurus or charismatic leaders. Our lives have a way of challenging the stories we've been told. And what would happen if we allowed this to provoke discussions that offer us some different ways of being in the world? I actually think we're at a really interesting point in time. And there's big global conversations that are being had at the moment around faith and culture and identity and economics and politics and are tense. Tension is super high right now. And for many people, the old paradigms are no longer working, but maybe the new paradigms aren't any better. In particular, I think faith systems and institutional religion are struggling to keep up some kind of compelling or coherent vision of life and the certainty of frameworks maybe from the past is no longer up to task no longer seems adequate, but where does that leave us? How do we navigate the world now? These are really big conversations, but they're experienced in really personal and intimate and painful ways sometimes. Whether we like it or not, transitions are uh, almost always difficult, and transitions from things that have helped us to make some sense of the world, especially towards something that maybe is a little less certain, can be threatening. But I want to suggest that spirituality does still matter, and that faith still does have something to offer us. But to do that with honesty can be uncomfortable. And that's really, I guess, what my hope is for this space. Honest and uncomfortable conversations about what we believe, about our experiences, about life, about what life looks like when it moves. So, welcome to In The Shift. Let's get into it. So this first episode is called Dealing With My Own Christian Shift. I find myself in an interesting place. I think I'm someone who grew up in the church. I've been in and around Christian faith communities for my entire life and actually have spent many years working with them and for them and in them. And I look back to my life at this point and what I see is complicated. There are things that I'm really grateful for. I'm grateful for this deep and genuine desire to live a life of meaning that my uh, Christian tradition has given me. I'm grateful for communities of belonging where I've been encouraged and motivated and challenged and surrounded by people who loved me and wanted the best for me. And that's it's all quite beautiful in its own way. And yet at the same time, I think about the journey and I recognize how many problematic many of the things I believed were. I had certain ideas about God and therefore about my own life too, I suppose, that although on one level could motivate me and get me moving on another level could make me deeply anxious. And that's something I don't think I was often aware of until I look back at it later. You know, if you had asked me at the time, are you an anxious person and does your faith make you anxious? I would have said, no, absolutely not. Uh, what you need is the Lord and the Lord will clear up all of your anxiety. But when I go back and I look at the reflections and the, the journal entries and the things that I was writing, the prayers that I was even writing down at that time in my life, I can now see the the degree to which holding this kind of tension between so much of what I was experiencing, which was good and meaningful and helpful and important, and then this other layer of stuff that was that I believed that was feeding a, a whole different kind of way of being that was driven by anxiety and a need to measure up or belong or follow the script in some kind of way, you know? And I think about the desire for certainty that I really had at this point in my life in the sense that what I had was right, and I was right about all of the things that I believed and that I thought. Uh, and so all of my interactions with people, especially beyond my faith community, were really about uh, trying to look for opportunities to tell people about all the things I was right about. 
Uh, and even the people within the community, if they strayed from that path, from that script, then then I had my own ways of letting them know. And and so I looked maybe at the ways in which I treated people who didn't follow the path as in the way that I thought they should. The way I participated in kind of pushing people to the edges because they didn't suit the narrative I was trying to convince myself of half the time. And then I think about the way I experienced the pain and difficulty of what happens when you allow all of the divergences and questions and differences in your own life and in the experiences of people around you to actually come to the surface instead of keeping on pushing them back down and burying them. And then suddenly you find that you're the one who's on the outside of something that used to be at the centre of and that's weird and difficult. And so I think about my own story and I recognise you know, both beauty and, and anxiety and, and challenge and problem. Faith which was a wonderful resource for me, but then the problems caused by my faith. And relationships that f- were formed that will last a lifetime and then relationships uh, that broke that I thought would last a lifetime. In many senses, all of this has been a journey of moving away from the fundamentalist form of thinking that I'd adopted in the past. And and, and using that word fundamentalist, I'm meaning a couple of particular things in that regard. Um, Firstly, there's a concrete set of beliefs that I held to with this real sense of certainty, you know. This is the truth. These are the things. Sure, we can discuss and argue about uh, other stuff, but these core fundamentals I am absolutely convinced of and committed to and compelled by. Uh, So that's one aspect of it. And then the second is that an attachment to those beliefs really defined who was in and who was out. So if there were other people who agreed with me about that, then we were in. Uh, But if maybe you were wavering on some of them or didn't hold to some of them, then you're out. And so believing the right things often defied, defined if one could be a legitimate part of this, you know, community of belonging. Um, I could allow myself to, to question some things, but, but the answers to those questions were really always grounded and shaped and governed by some core fundamentals that could never really be questioned. Uh, and so when questions about those core fundamentals ever rose to the surface, they were very quickly buried. Because uh, if I was to start to pull those things apart, well, then you could be on a slippery slide well, towards eternal punishment, hell, perhaps, or at the very least to becoming an outsider to your own community. And both of those things, I guess, are always hovering in the background if your belonging is determined by believing all of the right stuff. You know, if you walk away from the core beliefs of Christian faith, then for many Christians, you are sending yourself to hell. That's a pretty good reason not to question things. Um, Now, in the early days of my own unravelling, I don't think I was... I ever felt like I was at risk of that. In fact, I don't ever really think I've felt at risk of ending up uh, in some kind of hell for different reasons now than I used to be, perhaps. Um, But the more immediate challenge to me uh, for a long time was the ongoing loyalty that I felt towards people that I loved and who loved me. And that loyalty was preferable in many ways to the fear of disappointing people of becoming one of those who'd lost their way, who'd compromised, who'd been discovered to no longer be one of us or on our team or in our club. So this is one thing that's going on. And and as I got later into my 20s, I think a couple of different things collided. It became increasingly impossible to avoid the fact that my experience of life didn't really make sense within the quite tight and narrow framework I was trying to navigate. Not just in my own life, but I looked around at the many people who I had been sort of young and enthusiastic with, we'd all been young and enthusiastic together, and their lives hadn't really followed the script in the way that we were all planning on and so people had been left behind and we'd all moved on and told ourselves that they'd lost their way or developed some issues or whatever it might be and yet as I got older I realised more and more that perhaps this is not what was happening at all and I saw 
again, this kind of twin reality I saw how for some people, the religious community provided an amazing sense of comfort and support and structure and identity, especially in challenging times. And to be honest, there were certainly times, uh, long periods of time when it had been that for me. But for other people, the same kind of community could function in ways to marginalise and to squeeze out and actually, sadly, to make difficult experiences in life even more difficult. And in many ways, it depended to some degree on how people responded to the challenges and difficulties that came their way. If they responded by questioning the wrong things, then things could become really problematic. But if they responded by pressing back into the system more deeply, then uh, then they were welcomed in uh, and supported in really, really profound ways. For me, I, I became heightened to this kind of experience, both in my own life and in the lives of people around me, at the same time as I was also beginning theological study. When I first left school, I'd gone off to university and studied biomedical science and then had a brief science career, which I then gave away to go and work for the church, which I was very passionate about. And so uh, by the time I got to my late 20s, I actually did re-enter study, but this time into some postgrad study in theology, uh, which is, you know, discussions and thoughts and thinking and study about God and Christian faith and the Christian tradition. And that all culminated in me finishing off my doctorate a couple of years ago. So I really, you know, I ran the distance on on studying theology. Um, and up until that point, I'd had all sorts of questions, as I mentioned before, bubbling away under the surface that I generally managed to push back down again. But I remember sitting in my, some of my first classes in theology and other subjects, and I was thinking, hey, uh, hang on a second. This is not what I thought thought. This text is not saying what I thought. This Christian message is not what I thought. And there's, again, uh, two responses to that. One was, this is interesting and awesome and amazing and fascinating and uh, liberating. And then the other thought is, oh no, this is going to mess everything up because now that I'm seeing this, I can't unsee it. And the questions that I had suppressed now had a place to emerge and to make themselves known and to come to the surface and to be validated as questions that should be asked. So these two things, this intersection of life experience that I guess just as I was growing up, I began to, you know, as I was getting older and experiencing life in more in more of the grey than the black or white, uh, this intersected with my incorporation of reflection and study and because of all of that, then I, I really reevaluated my framework of belief and began to look at my own experience and my own history, my own life with a more critical eye. Now, this wasn't an instant experience. It wasn't like suddenly I woke up one day and went, I think about everything differently than I used to. But uh, over time, I became increasingly aware of how what I had held no longer really worked for me. Uh, it might work for some people, but it didn't work for me anymore. And I also became really aware of how this, this kind of fundamentalism that I had held to had impacted negatively on me at a personal level and my own view of self and my relationships with other people and really how inadequate it was for engaging the world as it really was beyond the kind of bubble that I held myself within. So I began to realise actually that the world was much bigger than I thought. Um, and, and I look back now at the kinds of things I was starting to ask and push into and I'm like, oh man, I was I was not even remotely radical at that point, but it felt radical, it felt transformative, it felt liberating because it was suddenly my world was starting to feel bigger than it was. And if I look back at that experience, you know, I, I there's no mistaking when I go back, as I said before, and, and read about I read my own words about my life. 
And I'm like, man, my belonging was always at threat, not just to the community, but to God. Because um, God's love is always dependent on you towing the line. And it kind of gives you, again, a two-layer story. The top layer says, this is awesome, I belong, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. Uh, but there's another layer that sits underneath that that says, don't so, do or say the wrong thing and put this at risk because it could all disappear. God loves you, but God kind of has to love you because that's the rules. And so God's also kind of disappointed in you. And probably everyone else would be disappointed in you too if they, if they knew what you were really thinking, <laughs> if, you, if they knew what you were really like. And that's a really unhealthy place to inhabit, I think, for an extended period of time, although I think many religious people uh, experience that double story. Um, I think many Christians probably have a two-layered God. The top layer is the one talked about most of the time. But the second layer is the one really driving the show, you know, because sitting beneath the surface of the God who loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life is the God who will punish you forever if you don't love him back. And whether we realize it or not, if that's the God that's sitting behind the scenes, then that uh, love, in inverted commas, of God is always going to be distorted and anxiety-inducing, even if you're not aware of it. It's at a subconscious level. And, you know, the the profound thing in my own journey is realizing that I don't think that's even what Christianity is supposed to be saying. But it's become an integral part of many aspects of the Christian tradition that I think is deeply unhealthy. So along the way, I've had to pull apart a lot of the things that I assumed were just a given. It's not to say that I've abandoned faith or spirituality, but it's undergone this kind of significant renovation. And I've had to relook at my assumptions about God and about spirituality and about what the Bible is and about other religions and about whole communities of people that my religious tradition had told me were excluded from God business entirely and about what it might mean for someone to experience salvation and that maybe it's not about being rescued from some eternal anguish in hell, but actually about something else entirely. It's a lot of stuff to unravel. And this process of deconstruction can be really painful, especially early on. Because when those first few big bricks start to tumble, there can be a bit of an overwhelming feeling of wondering what you'll have left, if anything. And if your whole life, to some degree, is built on a certain framework that you've felt really sure about, it gives you a really great sense of stability and a sense of why you do what you do and what really matters and what life is really all about. And that shapes your relationships, your work, your friendships, your um, church commitments, your day-to-day eating, breathing, living, walking around life. And when you start to pull at that thread of uncertainty, uh, it can be really disorienting and disruptive and discombobulating, which is a word I love. And then what I found happen is it can kind of become exhilarating, you know. So the first few bricks come tumbling down, you're like, oh no, what's going to happen here? And then a few more come down, you're like, oh, this is so exciting. And then tearing the building down can become intoxicating and captivating in its own way. But the problem with this over time is then everything you are is defined by what you're not and by what you now reject and by the things you no longer believe, and that's not really something to build a life on either. So I've had to enter this phase of reconstruction, and in many respects I think that can be harder than deconstruction because if you've truly pulled all things apart, then you can't just put them back together again with the same materials. And you also just can't be like, right, now that I know I don't think this, I think this with just as much certainty as before. Um because otherwise you're just probably going to have to unpack that again at some point. And, you know, what I observe, and certainly I saw this tendency in myself and in other people that I've observed along the way as well, what this can end up just being is an exercise in saying, well, I'm so glad I'm not that kind of silly old fundamentalist anymore. What a bunch of knobs those people are. They all need to get with the program and agree with me about all of the new things I'm thinking and saying, which is really just a different form of the same kind of old fundamentalist game. 
And so instead, what I've tried to do with my own reconstructive process has been an exercise in putting back together again the story of my own religious tradition, including the good and the bad, and holding those together and finding what I think is supposed to be going on in the Jesus story that I really do believe is genuinely helpful or can be genuinely helpful for people beyond some kind of in and out, heaven and hell kind of thing, but also trying to hold this with an openness, aware that new realizations and new experiences and new insights and interpretations will continue to come along. And I need to be able to respond to these with openness and with insight and with wisdom, rather than with reaction and ideological tribalist um, response. So I want to offer a couple of ideas that I think are helping me to navigate a healthy reconstruction. And firstly, maybe it's that I've come to realize that my experience of fundamentalism and the certainty framework is actually not unique to Christianity, and it's not even unique to religion. I think there's been an assumption among many commentators in the West that secularization and the elimination of silly old religion from society will help us fix all of our problems and offer us a new utopian future where we all get along. But the problem with this, I think, is that it lays all of the problems at, at the foot of religion rather than recognizing the ways that religion itself is being co-opted by something. And that's by our innate desire for certainty, for belonging and for power. At the very core of the human experience is this desire to belong and to make some sense of the world. And often the sense of belonging that we are seeking, that we desire, which, which if we think about our own emergence as a species, was really about safety and protection. Who are the people that I belong to? This is my tribe, this is my people, and we will keep each other safe against the outsiders, against those people whom we're in competition with. So there's this innate kind of biological uh, drivenness to our desire to belong to a group of people. Um, but often what happens for us, and now that we're living in a very different kind of world, uh, our sense of belonging is often fostered by contrasting ourselves with people who aren't like us. And although that might be an, an understandable and even normal feature of emerging human social identity, it can be cultivated and stimulated in really unhealthy ways when people stoke the fears of difference and then it can become really problematic. And so while in the 21st century, you know, in the modern world we live in, I think religious fundamentalists are often criticised for these clear in-groups and out-groups. Um, but in many cases, I, I think it's fair to say that a lot of non-religious people have simply exchanged one set of kind of belonging markers for another because the same emotional drivers are sitting under the surface. And so... Well, many religious frameworks can, of course, be problematic. And I think when you layer on spiritual meaning and the threat of eternal punishment and all of that kind of stuff, it certainly does up the ante somewhat. And maybe that's why we see such an unholy alliance at times between political and religious fundamentalism. Uh, but ultimately, I think the challenge to our modern psyche is to confront our own desire for certainty and our need for an enemy against whom we can contrast ourselves. And maybe this is becoming even more apparent to us in a globalized world, because although we've become in some ways, more accustomed to ethnically and culturally and religiously diverse communities. For many people, that's been a cause for anxiety rather than maybe an opportunity to grow an understanding of difference. And what we're seeing happen at the moment is in the current climate and political and economic uh, ideologies and positions and identities can be just as concrete and sectarian as religious ones. Of course, they shape and feed each other, but... Even in the political, political and economic worlds, if you hold to the right set of beliefs on the spectrum, you are with us. 
You have a group to whom you belong and with whom you can feel safe. They are your people and you have a clear enemy against whom you are pitted. Just like fundamentalist religion, if you diverge in any way from the purity of your team's ideology, you can actually find that your own community will turn on you very quickly. You might not be threatened with hell, but you can find yourself isolated and alone, which is its own kind of hell, I guess. I mean, just try out Twitter for a while and see what the experience is like. Moral outrage is definitely not the sole domain of conservative Christianity. So political fundamentalism, if we can call it that, can be a potent and divisive force. And I, and I feel like even the wave of anti-immigrant sentiment across the West at the moment is a kind of cultural fundamentalism, you know. Uh, global migration has disrupted this this normal, what normal again in inverted commas, monocultural reality that many white Westerners have, have constructed. And rather than reaching for some kind of tolerance and understanding and a healthy conversation to navigate through this, the immigrant instead can become the scapegoat and the enemy. The ultimate other who we can just blame for all of our problems. So the problems I experience within religion are in, in many senses a much bigger problem than religion. And it's about our what we think is our need for certainty and for communities with gatekeepers and controlled borders. And I, and I think there's a simplicity to that way of being, which is really attractive, especially in the world as it gets increasingly complex. You know, we are reaching for that which can make us feel right and safe and on the inside. Now, the reason I say all of that is I found this really helpful in my own reconstruction journey from a faith perspective because it's helped me to see that the dark side of my own Christian experience is, in fact, the dark side of the human experience itself. And the elimination of religion does not actually solve this problem. In fact, research tells us that spirituality and spiritual practices can often be very healthy and helpful features of the human experience. And I think one of the reasons I'm still actually a Christian, even though sometimes that word can be so uh, damaged that it's hard to even know how to use it. Uh, but the reason I still do identify in some way as, as a Christian is because I've studied theology in the Christian tradition and I'm becoming really increasingly aware of how abuse of power has co-opted a story that in fact was supposed to do the exact opposite. It was supposed to be offering us a devastating critique of power and to help us imagine a different way of being in the world that wasn't controlled by in and out and us versus them and power to manipulate and oppress. And so when I look at the Christian scriptures in particular and, and what we see in those texts, rather than being some kind of timeless book of truths and promises from the heavens, in many respects, one of the things they do is offer us the problems of power kind of laid bare for us to see and name and look at. And so you've got this Old Testament that's centered around a narrative of slaves and oppressed people who've been liberated. That's the central story of the Old Testament. But then it also goes on to show how easily those same people who were slaves, who had been liberated, could so easily use the name of God to justify violence and oppression of others. And so it's not long before the slaves have become the slave owners, slave, the slaves have become the slave owners, this time in the name of the God who they believed had liberated them. And so the, the problems of power over and over and over again are laid bare for us in that story. And then in the New Testament, the story is centered around a man from a minority group, a Jewish man named Jesus, living in a world occupied by a, a Roman Empire. And Jesus offers this path of nonviolence and of forgiveness, uh, but in ways that profoundly challenge the religious and political systems that are seeking to control and manipulate and oppress people at the time. And so Jesus offers this story, this gospel, 
is the word that is used of liberation and salvation. That's it's never supposed to be about the threat of eternal damnation and God torturing people forever. What a hideous version of Christian faith that is. But about the invitation into a different way of seeing the world and of living in the world, a way of being that is grounded in the love of those who are different from us. For Jesus, and this is in you know his famous Sermon on the Mount, which is still talked about as an important speech, I suppose. For Jesus, perfection and to be perfect like God, Jesus says, is found in loving of enemies. It's in the love of those whom we are told to hate. And in his dying moments, his words are to ask God to forgive those who are participating in his own execution. And this is a subversive and radical and transformative way of being in the world and in the New Testament the symbol of resurrection life in the Jesus story, whatever you think about that, serves to offer Jesus' followers a story that doesn't end with execution but actually begins again somehow in the way that we are to treat and behave toward one another. And I've come to believe that this is the kind of conversation that the Bible can invite us into. And maybe that the very things that I see as problematic about my own religious history are the very things that the Jesus story also sees as problematic about the human experience too. Challenges our need for certainty, our need for an enemy, our need for violence, our need for power. Jesus' death at the hands of religion and empire is a symbol of the death of that way of being in the world. And we're supposed to offer a death from that kind of religion. And unfortunately and sadly, it's been our determined devotion to our desire for power that has turned Christianity into something quite unholy at times. So... Where does this leave us? Well, I'm using this phrase in the shift because that's where we are, I think. Whether we realize it or not, many of us are in a process of spiritual and religious change and we're also in a time of profound social and cultural change. And my hope really is that honest conversations about theology and spirituality and our experiences and stories can help lead us toward a more healthy and life-giving way of being in the world. Maybe we can learn from one another, open up space where people can talk authentically about their experience and now allow our beliefs to be challenged and tested and revised and reformed and even revolutionized. So this is In The Shift. Uh, you can go to intheshift.com or check us out on Facebook and Instagram, Twitter and all those places if you want to engage in the conversation. Uh, I'd love to hear from you and hear what you have to say. Um, until then, I'll see you next time.